Thank you, men and Mrs. Scott. Thank you for that. Great is the Lord. Praise his holy name. Let's take our Bibles and turn to 2 Kings chapter 19. 2 Kings chapter 19. We're going to be starting a new series on Sunday mornings in the near future. But um, this morning we'll be in 2 Kings chapter 19. And uh, looking at one of my favorite Bible characters in all of the Bible, a man by the name of Hezekiah. He started to reign as king of Judah when he was 25 years of age. Just 25 years of age. Idolatry was rampant at that point in time, uh, even in Judah. And King Hezekiah cleaned out the temple, and he tore down the high places, and he tore down the groves, the places of, of fornication and idolatry that were all part of idol worship. And uh, the entire nation, you could think of it this way, was completely consumed with the culture all around it. And uh, they were following the culture of their day. And uh, this 25-year-old king comes to the throne, and he literally goes in a different direction. He leads the nation in an entirely different direction than what his own father had led the nation to do. And uh, you can imagine how hard that would have been. It's one thing to take a stand and do what's right when everybody else around you is doing what's right, isn't it? I mean, it, sometimes um, your own spouse may be, when they're having a bad day, it's hard for you to have a good day. But when they're having a good day, they help you have a good day. But you can imagine being this young king, 25 years old, he comes to the throne, his dad's led in the wrong direction, and literally he has to tear down some of the very idolatrous things that his dad had built up. And I don't imagine all the people were like, hooray for Hezekiah, thank you for taking away our idols. And uh, I think they probably enjoyed their lifestyle, but, but Hezekiah led them to do what was right. But in our passage this morning, King Hezekiah, years have come and gone. Uh, let's see here, he'd be about 39 years of age, so a one year older than me. And uh, he's faced with a situation that's impossible. It's impossible. Um, everything from a human perspective looks like things are against him. There is no way from a human perspective he's going to survive this. Um, the Assyrians were not nice people. I've talked to you about the Assyrians before. You remember the Assyrian city of Nineveh. You remember it? And uh, the Ninevites and the Assyrians in general, the Assyrians were wicked, godless people for the most part. And the Assyrians were well known for being... Um, just very cruel. It was one thing to conquer another nation in battle. That was somewhat common in those days. But the Assyrians sometimes would skin the people that they conquered. Okay, they were a wicked, vile people. And God had raised them up because his people had forsaken him. And uh, he was using the Assyrians to bring judgment upon his own people to turn their hearts back to him. And in this passage, I see a wonderful illustration of our theme for this year, uh, which is consider how great things he, God, hath done for you. I hope when you see those banners, when you walk in, you know, sometimes they've been up almost a year now. We, look, we don't even see them anymore, right? But I hope that uh, it, maybe it's on your refrigerator, that theme. It's on the bulletin. It's, I hope when you think about it, I hope you take time to think and consider about the great things that God has done for you. In fact, in 1 Samuel 12 and verse 24, it says, Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. Now, if you've ever studied King Hezekiah's life, you know a little bit about him. He stood against evil. I would even say it this way. He rebelled against that which was evil. He worked diligently to follow the Lord. And he was very discerning in discerning the lies of the devil. He started well, but now 14 years later into his reign... He's faced with a, uh, a horrible situation. His, his capital city of Judah, Jerusalem, is under siege. It's, it's surrounded, we could say. Assyrian soldiers, we know that there are at least 185,000 Assyrian soldiers outside of the city. 
Um, and the entire city is under siege. Now, a little bit of history here for just a moment. At this particular time in Israel's history, Israel had been divided into two parts. Um, There was the northern kingdom called Israel with their capital city in Samaria. And then there was the southern kingdom, Judah. Now, they were all Israelites, but they had split apart into two parts. The northern kingdom was a very much an idolatrous kingdom, okay? And uh, they were an idolatrous people, and the Assyrians had already conquered them and taken them away into captivity. So that was a done deal. It was already done. Now there's the the southern kingdom. It was uh, quite a bit smaller landmass-wise. Jerusalem's the capital. King Hezekiah's their king, and King Hezekiah's trying to do the right things. But now the Assyrians sweep down into Judah, they begin conquering cities, and now they lay siege to the city of Jerusalem. King Hezekiah is in the city. It's just a hard, impossible time. And I want us to see this morning how God does great things. And there are three considerations of the great things that he does. Things that he did for King Hezekiah and in the nation of Judah and things that he does for you and me this morning. Let's look at Second uh, Kings chapter 19. I'll begin reading in verse number 14. Verse number 14, Second Kings chapter 19, beginning in verse 14. I'm going to read all the way down through verse number 19, just five verses. He says this, and here we have King Hezekiah praying. It says this, And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, thou art the God, even thou alone. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. Of a truth, Lord... The kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for, there, for they were no gods but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord, our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God, even thou only. It's a beautiful prayer that those five verses, King Hezekiah takes his problem to the Lord. He literally takes it and he he spreads it out. He lays it before God and he prays over it. And he says, God, you need to protect your name. Lord, I I need you to intervene. I need you to save us because without you, there's no saving at all. You know, this morning you might be faced with something in your life. I, I'm sure that you are faced with something in your lives. Maybe there's someone here this morning It's as simple as overcoming some sort of temptation that you've struggled with for many years. Well, God can save you from that and deliver you from that. Maybe for some it's be receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and being saved from death and hell to come. For others, it might be a specific trial that you're going through right now. And I want you to know something. God is great, and he is greatly to be praised. And God alone can deliver you and me. Let's pray together and we'll look at this passage. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you'd help us. God, meet with us, I pray. Teach us by your Holy Spirit. Make application in our lives for what we need. Encourage us, Lord, in you. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to look back with me, if you would, to chapter 18. And notice with me in verse verse number 9. Uh, chapter 18. Now, and I mentioned it just a little bit, but King Sennacherib, the Assyrian king, Sennacherib gets in on the latter part, had been winning victory after victory. He had defeated Israel. And notice in chapter 18 in verse number 9, I'll read down through verse number 12, it says this, And it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. Now, Samaria is the northern capital city, the northern kingdom. At the end of three years, they took it. Imagine living in that city for three years, but the end of which they're overcome. Even in the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is the ninth year of Hoshea, king of Israel, Samaria was taken. 
And the king of Assyria did carry away Israel unto Assyria, and put them in Halah, and in Habor, by the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. Why? Notice verse 12. Because they obeyed not the voice of the Lord their God, but transgressed his covenant, and all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded, and would not hear them, nor do them. So, very simple, and this is not the message this morning, but the nation of Israel, the reason why they had been conquered and led into captivity, and by the way, captivity for Israel is always a picture of captivity for sin, in sin, or to sin, bondage in sin for you and for me. The people who have been saved, delivered, brought across the Red Sea on dry ground, saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Speaking of you and I, many of us this morning. And yet, a covenant with God that he will be our God and we will be his people. That, that we will be led and follow the leading of the Spirit of God and the Word of God. And yet, and yet they choose not to. They won't even hear the Word of God and they choose not to obey it. And by the way, it's really hard to obey something that we don't know about. It's really hard to know what to do when we forsake gathering ourselves together to find out what we ought to do. And because they would not hear the word of God and would not obey God, all of Israel, and specifically the city of Samaria, is led away into captivity under this Assyrian king. I, I think there's application there for you and for me. You know, the children really had nothing to do with that, if we were to think about it. The children of those Israeli families in Samaria, um, but their mom and their dads and their grandparents had chosen not to hear the word of God or do it. And the disobedience and the ignorance of the adults had a disastrous effect upon the children. So this is what's happening, and you can see this is only in the fourth year of King Hezekiah's reign. Ten years later, he's going to be under siege. And I want you to look there in chapter 18. Uh, Also, uh, notice in verse number 13. It says, Now in the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, so ten years have gone by, did Sennacherib, king of Assyria, come up against all the fenced cities of Judah and took them. So they've conquered the northern kingdom, and now they sweep down into the southern kingdom, and they, and they attack the fenced cities. I mean, these are the defensible cities. And it very, the wording is interesting. It's just very simple, <laughs> and took them. It didn't seem to be much of a fight. Uh, and now Judah is, is going, it seems like they're going to be taken over. Uh, look with me, you're still in chapter 18. Look over at verse number 29. Verse number 29 of chapter 18. Thus saith the king. Now, we're only reading a portion of this. There's a lot we could read, but verse 29, there's a message from one of the captains of the Assyrians to King Hezekiah. And it says, Thus saith the king, Let not Hezekiah, he's talking to the generals of of Judah and the people of Judah, let not King Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you out of his hand. Neither let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord, saying, The Lord will surely deliver us, and this city shall not be delivered under the hand of the king of Assyria. Hearken not to Hezekiah, for thus said the king of Assyria, Make an agreement with me by a present, and come out to me, and then eat ye every man of his own vine, and every one of his own fig tree, and drink ye every one the waters of his cistern. Until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of corn and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of oil, olive, and of honey, that ye may live and not die. And hearken not unto Hezekiah when he persuadeth you, saying, The Lord will deliver you. There, it's a great passage to read, that chapter, chapter 18. Rabshaki is one of the guys that's named, one of the captains or generals for the Assyrian army. Rabshaki and his buddies, and they come up to the wall of Jerusalem, it's under siege, and they begin to talk in the Hebrew language, because they want all of the Hebrew soldiers, as many as can here, to hear. And they basically say, we are going to destroy you, we are going to annihilate you, and there is nothing. We could talk about it, and I don't have time to, they they were trash-talking. I mean, this was trash-talking 101, 2 Kings chapter 18. And they were just... 
Uh, and, and now, you, I read the, latter, the, the last part of it, and what he's saying is don't believe in, in the leadership that God's brought into your life, and specifically King Hezekiah. Don't believe him when he says, trust in the Lord, trust in Jehovah, people. God is going to deliver us. God is going to show himself strong. Don't trust him. But if you'll, if you'll go against his leadership and you'll follow me, then then we'll take you into captivity and you'll have oil, uh, olive oil and honey. It's a land just like yours and we won't kill you if you, if you do this. I mean, thanks for the good options. Um, it, but this is the situation that King Hezekiah finds himself in. You know, we're all faced with, with difficulties and trials and tests of different kinds. Charles Swindoll said this, I thought it was worth quoting. He said, we're all faced with a series of great opportunities brilliantly disguised as impossible situations. You probably have been through a few of those in your life so far. And any one of us who are born again, given enough time, will go through situations like that. And they don't really look to us like great opportunities when we're faced with them. Sometimes when we're faced with situations, we look at it and say, this is impossible. This isn't going to work. Sometimes, have you ever been there where you can't see your way through it? You don't know how, how this is going to work out. I can't map the course. This is not how I planned it. What's going on? And, and uh, I do believe there are opportunities, impossible situations are opportunities for God to show himself to be who he says he is in the word of God. Yesterday, as I was going over the message, I, Cindy walked by and said, Hey, I, I'm, this is what the message is about. And I, and I just talked about, I, we were, I was talking about, you know, illustrations of, of uh, great things that God has done. Mighty acts of God. But the Bible is replete with them. We could talk about the father whose son is possessed by an evil spirit. You remember him, don't you? Oftentimes, he throws himself into the water. The, the evil spirits are literally tearing, dragging this child into the waters to drown him. And the father's got to go grab the son and bring him out of the waters. Oftentimes, they've t- tossed him into the fire to be burned. I imagine this young boy, has got scars, bodily, physical burns all over his body. And so the father cries out to Jesus Christ, if thou canst do anything, help my son. And, God, and Jesus Christ does. Uh, there are so many. The Bible is full of the great things that God has done. And, and, and we do well, and, I, and this is my heart this morning, that we would consider Hezekiah's plight, and we would see the great things that God has done in the past. And that we would leave this room this morning with a, a clearer focus and a greater faith in who we say we worship, the God of the Bible. Three considerations of great things God has done in this situation this morning. First of all, we'll see, we'll consider that God hears and answers prayer. Secondly, we'll consider that God directs our steps through his word. And thirdly, we'll consider that God can deliver you and me from evil. Psalm 104 and verse 1 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, O Lord my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. Psalm 145 and verse 3 says, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. You can't exhaust it. You can't, you can't search out the greatness of God to the, the, the end. It is, beyond, it is beyond us. First of all, I notice in King Hezekiah's life, that I want to consider that God hears and answers prayer. Now, we read the prayer already, and we're going to go back and look at it for just a few moments, but the Assyrian king is Sennacherib at this time, and he's making demands of King Hezekiah that King Hezekiah, in good conscience, cannot go along with. You might find yourself in a place like that. That The the decisions that are on the table are not ones that would please God. And, And any decision that would please God isn't an option that's being put before you right now. What do you do? Well, King Hezekiah is under tremendous stress. He's under incredible stress. His back is to the wall. Destruction seems inevitable for his city and his kingdom. And what does he do? What does he do? Now, think with me again. The northern kingdom has been, has been over, overwhelmed. They've been destroyed. They've been taken into captivity. All of the other fenced cities in Judah 
save one, have been destroyed or, or, or overrun, conquered by the Assyrians. Jerusalem alone remains. King Hezekiah, what are you doing? Why don't you just make a peace treaty, go into captivity and call it quits? You've, you've had 14 years, it's been a nice run, you tried to serve God, and things just haven't worked out. King Hezekiah chooses to pray. A king chooses to pray. And he prays during a difficult time. Notice how desperate Hezekiah was in chapter 19, beginning in verse number 1. Chapter 19 of 2 Kings, beginning in verse 1, it says this, And it came to pass, when King Hezekiah heard it, that he rent his clothes. That was a Middle Eastern, uh, it was a sign of distress, it was a sign of self-humiliation, of self-humbling. He rent, he is not concerned about what people think about him, you get the idea. He covered himself with sackcloth, and he went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, which was over the household of Shebna, the scribe, and the elders of the priests, covered with sackcloth, to Isaiah. Now this is the first mention of Isaiah the prophet in the Bible up to this point. He sends these men, his counselors, to Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos. Notice verse 3. And they said unto him, Thus saith Hezekiah, This day is a day of trouble and of rebuke and blasphemy. For the children... The children of Israel, God's people, are come to birth, and there is not strength to bring forth. What happens when a woman who is great with child comes to the place of birth and she cannot bring that child forth? What happens? The child dies, and the mother dies. In other words, this is a life and death situation. King Hezekiah understands, he looks around, he sees what's happening all around him. I imagine he's looking at his people and some of his soldiers and maybe some of his generals, and, and they're saying, you know what, we don't want to be destroyed, let's just give them what they want, we'll go into captivity. They say it's a good land, they say it's just like ours, it's going to be alright, let's just go along. I imagine there's some pressure like that. I imagine there are others who are saying, no, we're going to die here, we're not giving up anything. And, and he, as the leader, has to say, what, what do I need to do? What do we need to do? He's looking around and saying, everybody else has been destroyed. Maybe it's just God's will that we be overrun as well and taken into captivity. After all, it's happened everywhere else but here. He says, our, 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 your people are brought to the place of birth, and there's no strength left. And, he, and really, he's asking Hezekiah to pray. And notice there are only two reasons why Hezekiah prayed. And there are two reasons why, he, why Hezekiah expected God to answer him. First of all, he prayed because he was in trouble. And he didn't have the strength to overcome the trouble. Folks, you and I need to be people of prayer. We need to be instant, in season, out of season when it comes to prayer. But certainly during difficult times. It wasn't that long ago when I was facing a situation and, and frankly I was overwhelmed with the situation and, and probably trying to handle it with my own, my own wisdom and my own experience and my capabilities. And I was very, very vexed about it. And there was really no hiding the vexation. And Cindy came into my office. She said, Seth, you need to pray about this. And, and I don't know that I said it aloud to her, but I remember thinking in my, my heart, I don't feel like praying about this. I mean, I'm being a little transparent this morning, but that was where I was. And there are times where you and I are in situations where we face difficulties and trials, and frankly, in our heart, and it's our pride, and it's our godless wicked flesh, when, when we don't want to pray about it, because after all, why didn't God just avoid the whole situation by taking care of it another way? But Nehemiah, or excuse me, Hezekiah prays. Why? Because he's in trouble and he understands, I don't have the strength to overcome the trouble. He didn't turn to men for help here. He only wanted the help of God. Jeremiah 33 and verse 3 says, Call unto me and I will answer thee. And show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. Notice again in chapter 19 and verse 14, and now that you have a little more of the context, I want you to consider his prayer just briefly. And I'm just going to read it, and you just note some things as we read through it. You, you have the background, you know what's happening. Notice verse 14. 
And Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up into the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. He really spreads his trouble before the Lord. That's what that is. That's what he's doing. What's your trouble? Have you spread it before the Lord? He does that. Verse 15, And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, which dwellest between the cherubims, has the idea of the holy place. Thou art the God, even thou alone. He wasn't looking anywhere else for any other gods. Of all the kingdoms of the earth, thou hast made heaven and earth. He's the creator God. He's all-powerful. Lord, bow down thine ear and hear. Open, Lord, thine eyes and see and hear the words of Sennacherib. Now, who's Sennacherib? He's the king of Assyria. He's the one who's issuing these threats. He's He's the one who's mocking the Lord God Jehovah. This is the man through his generals who's saying, there are no gods who can stand in my way. And literally, he has gone to the extent where he's naming the nations that he's conquered, and he's naming the false gods that they worshipped, and he's saying, none of those people, none of those generals, none of those kings, and none of their gods could, could stop me. And your god is no different. And I'm going to conquer, I'm going to destroy you. That's what King Sennacherib is saying. And so, Hezekiah prays, hear the words of Sennacherib, which hath sent him to reproach the living God. God, he's causing shame. To your name. He's dishonoring you. Verse 17, of a truth, Lord, the kings of Assyria have destroyed the nations and their lands. That's the true statement. Verse 18, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they have destroyed them. Now therefore, O Lord, our God, I beseech thee, save thou us out of his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that thou art the Lord God even thou only. The second reason he prayed was not only because he was in trouble and he didn't have any strength to overcome the trouble, but that it was honor, God's honor was at stake. Notice in verse 4 of chapter 19, he says this, Hezekiah speaking to Isaiah the prophet, and they're not face to face. He sends the messengers to Isaiah, verse 4. It may be the Lord thy God will hear all the words of Rabshakeh, whom the king of Assyria, his master, hath sent to reproach the living God, and will reprove the words which the Lord thy God hath heard. Wherefore, lift up thy prayer for the remnant that are left. King Hezekiah sends his messengers to Isaiah the prophet, a good friend of his, much older than him, by the way. Sometimes we, in our, our day and age, we like to kind of hang out with our peers. Everybody's the same age. We, we're all in the same stage of life. And there's some practicality to that. But here Isaiah's got a good friend, and he's not his, he's not his age. He's an older man. In fact, uh, Isaiah the prophet had known King Hezekiah's father. He had known King Hezekiah's grandfather. He had known King Hezekiah's great-grandfather. Hezekiah reaches out to his friend, Isaiah the prophet, and he asks, he asks Isaiah the prophet to pray for him. And by the way, there, is something, uh, there, is, there are some very real advantages to asking spiritual people, people who know God and walk with God, people who know his word. There are some wonderful advantages to, to reaching out to people who know God and walk with God. And that's what King Hezekiah does here. Uh, he, he literally asked him at the end of verse 4, lift up thy prayer, pray for us, the remnant that is left. We're holding on by a thread. I don't know how much longer we can hold out. I need you to pray for us. Is there really any benefit of asking someone else to pray with you about a matter? In Matthew chapter 18, Jesus Christ said this, again I say unto you, that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, It shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. Why? For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. One of the keys of biblical prayer is knowing what to ask for in the first place. And sometimes it's hard for you and I to know what to ask for. Sometimes it's not. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. I know what I ought to pray for there. Lord, help me to love my wife like Christ loves the church. Or uh, there are some things that are crystal clear about being honest. Lord, help me to be honest. Hardworking, help me to be hardworking. Giving, kind, compact. A lot of things we know what we ought to pray for, and we just don't pray for them. 
But some things, sometimes we're in situations where we're not exactly sure what we ought to pray for. And there's a lot of benefit of gathering together with godly people and considering together. I'm not saying even talk about it, but gathering together and praying together about a matter. And sometimes God will lead you and I how to pray through one another praying as we ought to pray. 1 John chapter 5 talks about, uh, and this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask, uh, uh, this is the confidence that we have in him. Um, Let's turn there because it's escaping me for just a moment. 1 John chapter 5, and it'll be good for us to look at it together. First John chapter 5 and verse 14. We're talking about prayer. We're talking about biblical prayer. Well, how, should we, how do we know what to ask for? Well, verse 14 of 1 John 5 says it this way. And this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And if we know that he hear us whatsoever we ask... We know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. So, God hearing us is dependent upon us asking for what is right. In other words, if I'm going to ask for something that's wrong, I can't expect God to hear me. You can't expect God to hear you when, if you're asking for something that's not God's will. One of the most important parts of prayer is uh, that God wants to accomplish is not just that he would answer prayer, but that you and I would be desiring what he desires. And and so we have this need to know what we need to ask for. And so uh, Hezekiah, back in 2 Kings chapter 19, sends word to his good friend Isaiah the prophet, a godly man, And he literally is asking him, I want you to pray for us, the remnant that God might deliver us. Do you have a godly friend that you go to for for help in prayer? Do Do you have a godly friend that you go to for counsel? Are you that kind of a friend? Are you the kind of a godly friend that if a person, a friend comes to you and says, hey, I need you to pray for me about this. I'm facing a situation. I don't know what to do. Are you the kind of friend who can give godly counsel? Are you the kind of friend who, when you say, I'll pray for you, you do it? And not just verbalize it and then brush it away from your mind, but are you the kind of friend who bears one another's burdens, according to Galatians chapter 6 and verse 2, and so fulfills the law of Christ, the law of love? Isaiah was that kind of a friend. I have to say, one of the things I enjoy so much about Wednesday night in our prayer meeting And sometimes it's more of a Bible study and sometimes it's more of a prayer meeting. But one of the things I enjoy so much about it is gathering together. And and I've really grown to appreciate and love this group of people of Trinity Baptist Church who are willing to come together and gather together midweek for the sole purpose of bearing one another's burdens. For the sole purpose of thinking about you and thinking about me thinking about a Sunday school class, thinking about uh, uh, the, the music ministry, thinking about people who are suffering and going through hardships. And their sole goal is not to come to be entertained, not come impress me, but just to come and very much selflessly willing to hear other people's needs and hardships and hurts and take time to biblically ask God for you and for me on our behalf. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it good to know that you have some people who are dedicated to praying for you? It's a wonderful thing. It's a selfless thing. Isaiah was that kind of an individual, and Hezekiah reaches out to him. Psalm 116 and verse 1 says, I love the Lord because he hath heard my voice and my supplications, because he hath inclined his ears unto me. Therefore will I call upon him as long as I live. Isn't that a wonderful verse? The psalmist says, I love you, God, because you hear my voice. The Bible says we love him because he first loved us. Part of that love is that he listens to us. And the psalmist says, I love you because you hear me. 
And and because you've inclined your ear to me, and he says, because you incline your ear to me, because you want to hear me, because you're listening for me to talk to you, I will call upon you, I will pray to you, I will ask you for help. As long as I'm alive, I will pray to you. So I consider, first of all, that God hears and answers prayer. Secondly, I consider that God directs our steps through his word. Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In times of tremendous difficulty, King Hezekiah sought the godly counsel of his friend Isaiah the prophet. What a valuable friend Isaiah was to King Hezekiah. Isaiah really had watched Hezekiah grow up. Remember, he knew his great-grandfather. Great-grandfather Hezekiah, you're having a son. Great. Uh, Grandfather Hezekiah, you're having a son. Wonderful. And then dad, you're having a son. What are you going to name him? Hezekiah the fourth. No, it wasn't that way. They were different names. We're going to name him Hezekiah. 25 years old. Isaiah might have been there when, when Hezekiah took the throne of Judah. Isaiah would have been giving him counsel and praying for him, no doubt, and watching and observing how this 25-year-old king began to stand for the Lord and exalt and honor the word of God when everybody around him, the nation to the north, his nation was totally engrossed in idolatry and rebellion. It's a wonderful thing to have a friend that tells us the truth. Proverbs 27 and verse 17 says, Iron sharpeneth iron, so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend. The Bible says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceit. They're deceitful. So Isaiah gave Hezekiah messages from God, and that was the prophet's responsibility. He was a foreteller. They didn't have the Bible, all 66 books like you and I have it today. And so God would give a message from himself to the prophet, and then the prophet would go to the individual or the people, and he would preach it, he would speak it. And he would say, thus saith the Lord, Jehovah has a message for you, and here is what it is. And uh, that's what Isaiah would do for Hezekiah. Really, the whole Bible was given this way. In 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, it says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The whole of the Bible was given by God through his messengers. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 says it this way, All Scripture is given by inspiration. The word inspiration means God, He breathed. God breathed. All Scripture is given by inspiration and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be mature, perfect, thoroughly furnished for all, unto all good works, ready for battle. Well-equipped, able parents who know how to train up their children. The Word of God, by the Spirit of God, teaches us that. It equips us. How do I pastor? Well, the Word of God will answer that. What kind of a man should I be? What kind of an employer or an employee should I be? What should I do in these situations? It's the Word of God. And so God, by his prophet Isaiah, would deliver the truth to Hezekiah. Hezekiah, this is what you need to do. Today, you and I have the word of God. Really, the message that Isaiah gives to Hezekiah is very basic. Notice in verses 6 and 7, back in 2 Kings chapter 19, verses 6 and 7. Look at the message Isaiah the prophet gave to Hezekiah during his time of crisis. There are really two parts to it. The first part is found in verses 6 and 7. And Isaiah said unto them, Thus shall ye say to your master, Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard. In other words, don't be afraid, Hezekiah, with which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor, and shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So God says to, through Isaiah to Hezekiah, don't be afraid. I've got everything under control. King Sennacherib is going to hear a rumor. 
And he's going to go home to take care of that rumor, and he's going to be assassinated. God's got it all under control. By the way, this is a good time for us to consider what side we're on. Because it's a fearful thing for me to consider being on the wrong side of God. He is love, and he is mercy, and he is gracious, but he is also holy, and he also is a jealous God, and he is a righteous God, and he is a just God. Notice in verse number 29, verse number 29, and I'll read down through verse number 34, and here we see Isaiah speaks to uh, Hezekiah, and he says, it's going to be okay, God's going to give you the, the victory. Verse 29 Isaiah says this to Hezekiah, And this shall be a sign unto thee, ye shall eat this year such things as grow of themselves. In the second year, that which springeth out of the same. In the third year, sow ye, and reap, and plant vineyards, and eat the fruits thereof. What's he talking about? There's going to be a future. I mean, Hezekiah is looking at the situation and thinking, there isn't going to be any future. I'm not going to be the king. If I even live through this, my people are going to be in captivity. And Isaiah says, I have a message from God for you. There's a future here. Verse number 30, And the remnant that is escaped of the house of Judah shall yet again take root downward and bear fruit upward. For out of Jerusalem shall go forth a remnant, and they, shall, and they that escape out of Mount Zion, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, shall do this. Uh, verse 32, Therefore thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city. Uh, nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return, and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. Verse 34, for I will defend this city to save it, for mine own sake, and for my servant David's sake. And that's a reference to the Davidic covenant, the covenant that God had made with David. And by the way, God always keeps his word, he always keeps his covenant, which is a very important thing for you and for me. Because those of us who have been saved have a covenant with God through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called the new covenant. And that is that no matter what happens in this life, if you've received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, God is your God and he will save your soul from death and hell to come. But here he says, I'm going to keep my word. And he says, I'm going to defend this city and I'm going to save it. Why? For Hezekiah's sake? No. God says, for mine own sake, I'm going to save this city. You know, some of us would do well to take our needs to the Lord and say, Oh God, would you intercede in my life and in my child's life? Not for my namesake, but for the glory of your name. Oh God, would you save this? God, would you deliver this? God, would you heal this? Now, as the Lord leads you, pray this way. But when he leads you, don't pray for things so that you can look good or so that you can be successful or for your or my ease of life alone. Those ought not be the, the, the greatest motives in our prayer closet. Lord, would you deliver this? Would you, would you help me in this situation? For your name's sake, God, for the glory of your name. And so really what God is saying through Isaiah to Hezekiah is it's going to be okay. I'm going to give you the victory. So how does God deliver his messages to us today? Well, today we, we don't have prophets to say, thus saith the Lord as Isaiah did, and then deliver a new revelation from God. If I ever stand up before you and I say, I had a dream last night and God had a message from him to you through me. What you should do is stand up and walk out very quickly, okay? And do not support me in any way. And anybody who says, you know what? I have a message from God to me. He said this to me and he wants me to tell it to you. There is no new revelation. God has given us all of his word. We have it all. Now he can lead us by his spirit. He can, he can help us to understand things and see things clearly. And you can receive the counsel of a good godly friend. But God doesn't speak to us specifically that way. We have the word of God. We have the Holy Spirit of God within us to lead us and to teach us and to guide us. We have godly friends who diligently study the Word of God. You should have some of those. You should strive to be that godly friend. Uh, we have pastors and teachers and evangelists that God has equipped who should come and preach and teach the Word of God, what God says. The message that we might receive in our situations would be, be careful for nothing. Don't be full of care. Don't be anxious. 
Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. 1 Thessalonians 5.24 says, Faithful is he that calleth you, who also will do it. We all need to stay close to those who watch for our souls. Hebrews 13 and verse 7 speaks of the relationship between uh, a church member and their pastor. Listen to what it says. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow. By the way, pastors in this room, is our faith such that people can follow it? And then he says this, considering the end of their manner of life, their conversation. Obey them, in verse 17, it says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Are you staying close to those who deliver the truth of the word of God to you? What are you doing with the truth that God wants you to know? Are you taking advantage of coming together in a Sunday school class and learning more about God? Are you giving your children that opportunity? On a Sunday morning, are you you faithful in coming Sunday morning after Sunday morning after Sunday morning? What I found in my life personally is that a walk with the Lord, and and my flesh goes against that, it resists the Spirit of God, It's, it's a continual battle. But what I found in my life, and many of you have been saved for a long time, know this to be true, when you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, all your troubles didn't go away, and all the temptations didn't go away, and all the worldly desires didn't go away. No, you were beginning what God calls His salvation. And that salvation process, oh, you were saved from death and hell the moment you received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, But now you need to have this consistent walk with God day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year after year after year until God takes you home to to be with him for all of eternity. And there is a battle that's raging inside of you and inside of me to do what is right or to do what is evil. We need the truth of the word of God to guide us. We need the truth of the word of God that builds faith in us to do what is right. What are you doing with the truth that God has revealed to you? I can remember an evangelist preaching sometime, some years ago. I was maybe in college or in high school. I don't remember. But he made this kind of a statement. He said, God isn't going to reveal to you more truth until you've done well with the truth that he's given to you. Sometimes I watch my fellow believers struggling and overwhelmed with discouragement and and, and unbelief and, and literally falling away from the truth. And they're desperate to know what needs to be done in this situation. And they're desperate for God to show himself strong here. But they have rejected him over here. And they've rejected him over here. And they've rejected him over here. And they're saying, but God, I need you to work over here. What you know to do, do that, and God will reveal more truth to you to help you as you go through your life. There's one last truth, I'll be, and I'll be done, and that is consider that God can deliver you from the evil. Consider that God can deliver you from the evil. So God, consider that God hears and answers prayer. Consider that God reveals the truth to you and me, and consider that he can deliver you and me from evil. Really, one of the great joys, I think, of being a child of God is the victory that we have over the world and all that is evil. Now, remember how this victory came about. King Hezekiah and Isaiah the prophet had prayed to the Lord together. They had sought God's word together. And now in verse 35 of chapter 19, the Bible says this, And it came to pass that night that the angel of the Lord went out and smote in the camp of the Assyrians, and hundred, fourscore, and five thousand. A score is equal to twenty. You have four twenties, that's eighty. So a hundred and eighty-five thousand. And when they arose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. I want you to consider this morning how great things God has done. We're thinking about the life of King Hezekiah. 
He's in a no-win situation. Hold up in Jerusalem. Bad, bad, more bad news, bad news after bad news just keeps flowing in. This city has fallen. That city has fallen. Ten years earlier, the northern kingdom is taken into captivity in Assyria. And now they come to his doorstep. And you know what? From a human perspective, he had no reason to believe that this was going to work out well in any way. It was over. He prayed with a godly friend. He sought God's word and believed it when it came. And God delivered him from evil. So what's your situation? What's your situation? Because we ought to go out these doors with a perspective of, you know what, my situation is bad. Maybe it is. Maybe for many of us in this room, it is a bad situation. You can walk out these doors saying, you know what, I don't know what to do. But we ought to go out these doors knowing, I know the one who can do what needs to be done. And I'm going to trust him to do what needs to be done. Now, last week, we noticed in Paul's life, uh, Paul said, remove this thorn in the flesh. And God said, no, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you. In this situation, King Hezekiah prays. He seeks God's word and believes what God says. And he wakes up the next morning. And there's no movement. Think about that. And by the way, one angel did this. One angel of the Lord did this. If you're a born-again child of God, you're on the winning side. And we need to live like it. We need to go to God in prayer with godly friends, bound together as the body of believers, the body of Christ, And we need to receive God's word and we need to hope in the truth of God's word and we need to wait and see what God is going to do. Ephesians 3 and verse 20 says, Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. This morning, do you have an inability? You need to go to God in prayer. You need to receive his word. You need to watch and see what God's going to do. He will do what is right. Would you take your hymnals and let's all